0: Oh God, as always, we're praying for insight and understanding as to who you are and as to who we are and into the kind of relationship you're calling us into with you, with each other, and with ourselves. Amen. Well, if you've been with us uh, through the winter season, you know we are in the midst and now coming to an end of our winter sermon series Top Questions You Asked Google. And so we've had a great time journeying together through this. Uh, Michelle's uh, led us through these uh, questions. And so now today we come to the end as we look forward to the start of the Easter season next uh, week. Frank, if you don't mind just uh, coming and I'm I'm looking at myself on the screen. It would be awesome to see all of the other people. Frank is here somewhere, Um, see who's on uh, Zoom Glad to see everyone here, by the way, today. We do have a whole other community uh, online or another gathering o- online, so we want to see all of them. Let's see you guys see Brian. Hi, Brian, down in Florida. Um, so we're glad that you're here. We're coming to an end of this series, this winter series, top questions that you asked at Google. And so today, our final subject is the church. Next week, we're looking to the start of the Easter season, as I mentioned. And uh, in fact, we're going to be gathering together here for the Lord's Supper next to uh, sabbath so here and in person so if you're at home you want to make sure you got your bread and your juice ready for uh, the lord's supper next week but today the question is what is the church now the bible uses several different metaphors to describe the church in one instance for example it uses the idea of a house that the church is a a building and it's it's built up with its with its participants Uh, Our text of emphasis uses the metaphor of a body. Says the church is a body, it's the body of Christ. In fact, Paul tells us in another place, it's a body and Jesus is the head. And we function as body members. If you have confessed faith in the Lord Jesus, then you are part of the body. In fact, everyone who is baptized and confesses faith in Jesus is, is automatically a part of the church. So what is the church? Well, the church is you. If you've been baptized to confess faith in Jesus, then you are the church. And so the, the, the church is this, uh, is this body made up of people who believe that God has worked through the Lord Jesus. Doesn't matter where you are, if you are alone on a, uh, a desert island. Uh, a desert island, deserted island, or desert island, or in a desert, wherever you are, if, you, if you've been baptized and expressed faith, you are, or a deserted island. Those are my favorite, would desert that has dessert. Um, I'm hungry, obviously, today. Anyway, if you are alone, if you're on the moon and you've expressed faith in Jesus and baptized into his name, you are part of the church. And so humans, people make up the, the church. And so everyone, if you confessed faith, you've been given, according to Paul, one spirit to drink. I recognize not everyone here may have confessed faith yet or been baptized yet, but if you have, you're part of the church. If, if you haven't and you're still among us here today, we are glad that you are here today, whether you're online or in person. But the church is made up specifically of people who've confessed faith in Jesus. And so you're part of the body. And we're told by Paul that the spirit works within the church, the spirit works to bring us together and we all drink from the from the same cup, the same fountain, if you will. And so what what do we do as part of a church? That's the starting question for today. What does it mean to be an active uh, body member of the of the body of Jesus, right? Jesus is the head or the body? How do we be active members? Well, first of all, we contribute according to our Giftedness. We didn't read all of 1 Corinthians 12, our text of emphasis, but if we had, you would read where Paul goes on to talk about the different members of the, of the body and that each member has its part to play according to the giftedness that the spirit may give. So some of you may have a gift of hospitality, or some of you may have a gift of friendliness, some of you may have the gift to teach, some of you may have the gift to, to cook. Uh, we're, we're getting ready for you, by the way, because that kitchen project is going to start soon, May-ish, May-ish, and then we're going to be ready to cook. So, whatever your gift is, this is—you all work together. We don't—we don't. We don't the, the, the church is not designed to have sleepy parts. Have you ever had a part of your body that fell asleep? You know, because you were leaning on it too long, and then, uh, and then you get up and move, and it's asleep, right? It's not comfortable, right? The church is designed to have uh, people using their gifts and as a part of the great uh, community of faith. And so each person has abilities, skills, talents, and giftedness, and God is inviting us to contribute those in uh, accordance to his will in the community. Secondly, how do we become active uh, or how do we be active body members in the body of Christ? Uh, we encourage each other. Paul in uh, in Hebrews tells us that a key part of being an active part of the body of Christ is to encourage each other, spur each other on to love and good deeds, is specifically that word that he uses. Uh, I love this idea that we are designed to encourage each other. Imagine a community of people who, who are together to encourage each other. You know, unfortunately, sometimes churches are not known for encouraging each other. In fact, sometimes churches are known for discouraging each other, but that's unbiblical. The biblical model of church is you, you encourage each other. You lift each other up. You spur each other on toward love and good deeds. This is the, the Jesus model. And then, then finally, how do we be active body participants in this body of Christ? We don't give up meeting together. Again, this is Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 24 and 25, the Apostle Paul who wrote our text of emphasis today is also writing here. He said, don't give up uh, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Apparently, this was a challenge even in the first century, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. So (laughs) if if you're going to be a healthy part of the body, you're involved in the body and you're encouraging uh, one another. You're using your giftedness. This is all a part of being a healthy, non-sleeping part of the body of Christ. And again, if you have confessed faith in the Lord Jesus and you've been baptized, you are the church. All right, that's it. You are the church. Um, So this sounds easy. I answered the question that was put before us. The church is you. If you confess faith and you've been baptized, you are the church. And we've already talked about what Uh, the church does, what you do as a church, and so we could uh, wrap up here, and I have done my job. But, (laughs) thank you, Priscilla. (laughs) Uh, But I got a little more, all right, because this sounds uh, easier than it ends out being. You know, some of us get discouraged with the the church, and we don't function as a healthy participant in the body of of Christ, and so uh, we got to ask ourselves, what hinders someone who has confessed faith and been baptized from functioning as a healthy part of the body of Christ, right? What, what hinders a person? Because this happens all the time. People will confess faith in Jesus and they will be baptized, but then being a part of the, the community of faith is, is challenging, it's difficult, and so what makes that difficult? Now, I am sure that you could provide a long list of reasons in which people uh, are not active parts of the, of the community of faith, even though they may have confessed faith in Jesus. But as always, I have brought you three, a gift of three, if you, if you, if you will. Three, three reasons why sometimes, even if you confess faith in Jesus and been baptized, being a part of an, uh, uh, the body of Christ, an active part, a healthy part, can be incredibly challenging. And the first one is, I think, widespread disillusionment with the church as an institution. This is a big one. Why do people who confess, they believe in Jesus, confess faith in Jesus, followers of Jesus, and have been baptized and yet not function as an active part of the church? Why does that happen? Disillusionment with the church as an institution. In fact, sometimes we think of the church only as an institution, we think of the administrative bodies of our, our different. Uh, sects or or organizations of church, whether it's the Adventist administration or whatever administration you may come from, there's a lot of reasons to be disillusioned because they do things and make pronouncements and it can be discouraging and we get all discombobulated and this can affect our ability or willingness to be identified as a part of the body. So we just got to be real, there there are good reasons sometimes to be disillusioned, but we also cannot forget, again, that the church is not the institution, right? The church is people, it's human beings, and uh, yes, there are administrative and institutional elements of any gathering of, of, of people, but at its heart, the church is designed to be people, people confessing faith in Jesus who come together and live together and and, and, and wrestle with challenges together, and be diverse together. And so it's very easy to get disillusioned with the church. And many people who have confessed faith in Jesus are not active participants in the church, are not active body members because they're disillusioned with the institution. And so that's a, that's a challenge. Well, Secondly, uh, some of us are not active participants in the, in the body of Christ because we have feelings of spiritual inadequacy about our own success or maybe our worthiness. I've heard this a million times, especially for new people who are coming into the church community and they come and they don't know anyone and they look around and everybody looks pretty good. In fact, looks like they have it together. If you're a new person today and uh, you, you, you've, you've come in or you've joined Zoom, there's some beautiful people here. There's some, some people that look very successful. There's some people who look, uh, in fact, I'm gonna go ahead and say, all of you look like you've got it pretty well together, okay, uh, and so, and so uh, if you don't have it together and you come and you look at this group on Zoom or in person, you might be like, e, I, I don't know if I, can, if I can fit in with this because I don't have it together, right? And so there's a sense of unworthiness or spiritual inadequacy that many of us feel when we look around. This is not, by the way, not just for new people. <laughs> some, some of us have been around a long time, and, and we, we hear stories of the success of another one. And, uh, or maybe we've been a part of a church that really emphasized the, uh, the perfection of every person. And so everybody has to put on a face and act like they've got it all together. Um, and so this can be an incredible challenge to being an active participant in the body of Christ because we feel we know ourselves and we know we don't have it together and when it feels like everybody else has it together or the or the local church body presents itself as uh, only being a place where certain people can get in because they do certain things or look certain ways or come from a certain background that's going to affect your ability to function as a healthy member of the body and so our feelings of inadequacy by the way we have uh, these groups we've been talking about, these growth groups uh, in Avon Hope, and I, we don't have enough of them yet. So not all of you are in a growth group. The, the goal is that everybody will get into a growth group, but we, we're working on that. So we've got seven or eight new ones, or seven or eight total that are starting. Some of you are in growth groups. And one of the things that I found about the growth groups, and again, I'm hesitant to talk about this because I know not everybody is in them, but uh, in our growth groups meeting once one hour a week, Uh, we try to promote the idea of transparency. Like, we're gonna be honest with ourselves. We're gonna be honest with each other. And so what that means is people start sharing about how they don't have it together, myself included. And I'll tell you, as soon as you start hearing the stories of other people and what they're going through, including some incredibly successful looking people, you quickly realize that we are all in the same boat. We are all broken. We all are messed up. It doesn't matter how well you dress today or how good you look or how successful you seem on LinkedIn, you start talking about the reality and we are broken. We don't have it together. A lot of us are afraid. We're afraid of things. We're afraid of our our career situation or we're afraid of our relationship status or we're afraid of various things. And, And yet, this sense, this feeling of inadequacy can affect us all when it comes to being a an active part of the body. I'm, I'm, for some reason, I'm choosing my arm as the part of the body. I don't know, but let's, we're just going to use this. So this is an active arm today. We want to be active parts, but feeling inadequate can make us inactive as a part of the body of Christ. The church is not just for super successful people or people who have it all together. The church is for everyone. If you confess faith in Jesus, it doesn't matter how broken you are, the church is for you, and you are the church. You are a part of the body. Finally, we wrestle with being an active body participant because of lack of connection with an actual community. Uh, Look, YouTube sermons are great. Uh, In fact, I guarantee that you can go on YouTube right now and you can find sermons a lot better than this one. I promise you, (laughs) you can go, that was not a setup, but thank you, Alex, yeah, Uh, that was not a setup for sympathy. You can go on YouTube and find some incredible sermons. In fact, you could probably spend every Sabbath till Jesus comes watching a different sermon or worship gathering on YouTube or whatever your your social media uh, venue of choice. But Christianity was designed by Jesus to be communal. It was designed for us to be together. Now, this has become an inherent challenge during the pandemic, but thank God that uh, Zoom and other tools like Zoom have existed during the pandemic because we have found a way, as my, again, Brian, I'm gonna prick on Brian because his screen is on, as, as, as we, I, I have never uh, met Brian face-to-face, well, was face-to-face I've met him, but never in person. All right, But Brian and I are now best of buds, right, Brian? Don't answer that. Okay. Uh, all right. He's giving the thumbs up for those here who were wondering. We've never, we've never been in person together, but we, we, we commune together because we are in groups together, and we've prayed together, and we've had a great together, time together, and sometime Brian is going to come visit us in New York, and sometime I'm going to go down to vis- visit uh, Brian in Florida, preferably next February. So, Brian... I don't know what you're doing next February, but I've got three kids. We're all coming down to visit you in in Florida. The church is designed to be communal. And so if your church experience is is only one that's by yourself with, with YouTube sermons or whatever, as great as they can be, you are missing out on the killer feature of church. Church is designed to be done together. Jesus spent three and a half years when he started the church living and breathing and eating and laughing and crying with people, humans, real humans together. And again, thank God that we can do this now in person, we can do this online. We've laughed, we've cried online together too. So coming together with other real humans. Now, there was a time in history when it was thought that truly spiritual people were the people who could go off on their own and live by themselves and be very, very spiritual. And the further removed that they were from society, the more spiritual that they, are, they were. But this is not biblical. Spirituality was not to be, Christian spirituality was not designed to be done all on one's own. I mean, that's why Paul said, don't give up meeting together. He knew that that was a danger, that... We have a desire to, if we're going to really be spiritual, we're going to go off, and we're only going to be by ourselves. And so there was a time in human history where that is how what the true spiritual people were were thought to be, those who could exist outside of the world on their own. It's not biblical. Uh, Let's look at this. uh, I have a quote, and hopefully we can get it up on the screen, because it's from our man Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Okay, listen to this. This is Bonhoeffer. He said... This is in his great book, by the way, it's called Life Together, the classic exploration of faith in community. He said this, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair." Bonhoeffer has it absolutely right. You've got to have both. There's got to be those times, absolutely, when you're having your one-on-one time with God alone. But if that's the only experience, you are missing out on the killer feature of community. In Jesus, coming together. And so don't give up meeting together. Don't give up being together with other actual human beings who are going through similar things to you and are wrestling with the same issues of of faith and and fear and all that we're wrestling with. we got to be together. Doing it off on your own, whether it's with your Bible or YouTube, you can only study the Bible. By the way, sometimes I've found... People who will study the Bible all by themselves come up with some crazy ideas. You know what I'm talking about? I've been up in the mountains for, you know, five weeks just reading the Bible, and they come out with all kinds of crazy ideas. Um, Good. Spend five weeks studying the Bible. But when you get together with other humans and people say, uh, no. No, or have you thought about this? Or did you read this passage? Or I've had this experience. That is crucial, crucial, because we hone each other. As we hear and wrestle with experiences and ideas and thoughts and how God has spoken to us, it's essential to be together. All right, so there's a time for solitude and there's a time uh, for fellowship. And so this leads us to our last big question. Okay, well, we've got these challenges that many of us, and again, we could have a long list of of other reasons why a person or you or who might not be an an active part of the church. Again, if you've confessed faith in Jesus and you've been baptized, recognizing not everybody here today or online may be in that case, but if you have confessed faith and you've been baptized, you are the church, you are in the the church, but maybe you're not an active part of the church. I've listed three reasons why that may be the case. There may be a hundred more. Okay, the question, the big question is, well, How do we we get inspired to be an active part of God's body? Jesus is the head. Well, as always, we go back to Jesus himself. You know, Jesus didn't give up on the church. If there was one person on the planet who had every good reason to give up on the church, it would be Jesus. He started the thing, but he had every reason to give up on the church. Consider this. This is Matthew chapter uh, 26 and verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples. These were his students. These were, this was the first church, right? In fact, he had, he had been teaching, living, eating, crying, laughing with this group of people for three and a half years. This was his core team. This is, gonna, this is the church. So, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here. Well, I go over there and pray. All right, so fellowship, but he's going to have also some moment of solitude because he knows what's before him. But he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So he didn't want to be alone. He told the other church, church participants, he said, stay here. And then he took the three, and he said, hang out here with me. And he started to be sorrowful and troubled. That's a moment when you need a people to have your back, right? And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He's counting on his church. He gives them specific instructions. I'm feeling sorrowful. He's troubled. They obviously can see that. Sit here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. (laughs) This is is a moment of of existential strife that Jesus is facing, literally existential. And he's anticipating that his church is going to be there with him. That they're going to be there for him. Then he returned to his disciples, the narrative says. And he found them. What were they doing? For those who've heard this story, they were sleeping. <laughs> he needed the church. And where was the church? It was, it was sleeping. Okay, that can happen once. Fine. Couldn't you keep watch for one second? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now he's like, this is all not just about me. It's about you, so you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's kind of making excuses for them. It's, it's true. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And so he went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and prayed a third time saying the same thing and then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping? The hour has come, the son of man is to be delivered into the hand of sinners. And if there is someone who should have given up on the church, it would be Jesus, right? So the soldiers come to arrest Jesus and we're told that all the disciples deserted him. All of them left. That's the church, the church was gone. How disappointing is that? You've spent three and a half years with this core team, you're gonna gonna build this thing into a movement that's gonna change the world, and in this moment of despair, they're sleeping, and then they desert him. And then you know the story continues, and his top guy, Peter, Top guy told Peter, You're going to help lead and build this church. You, you, you're, gonna, you're the core member of the core team. And we're told that Peter, three times, first to two young girls who came to him and said, Aren't you with Jesus? I, no, don't know what you're talking about. And then he does it a third time. Disappointed with the church. If there is anybody who should have given up on the church, it would be Jesus, but Jesus didn't give up on the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus didn't give up. He wasn't like, yeah, you know, you're, you all are done. Jesus stuck with the church even in its, in its, in its, its brokenness, even, even though the church gave up on him, but he didn't give up on the church. Jesus believes in the church because Jesus stuck with the community of faith, because Jesus stuck with humans, we can be transformed and changed into the kind of people who also stick with each other, who also care for each other, who also love each other, who also encourage each other. So in Christ, Paul writes in Galatians, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus didn't give up on the church, even when the church gave up on him, we too can be empowered to have a new relationship with our brothers and sisters who have confessed faith in Jesus. We can overcome the frustrations, valid frustrations that we have with the Christian community. And we can work Together through the power of the Spirit. We all drink from the same Spirit, our text of emphasis to say. We can all drink together to work together to make a community, a beloved community, that is working for justice and mercy and peace in this broken world. In Acts 2, we're told that after Jesus died and he rose again, the disciples, now they're... They're wrestling with what it means to be the church. They came together and they prayed for 10 days. And after 10 days, the spirit was poured out in a profound way and they were transformed and changed into the community that God was calling us and them to be. And we are part of that great tradition, a tradition of humans, broken humans, messed up humans, humans who don't have it all together, who though confess faith in the Lord Jesus, who are baptized in his his name and are then empowered by his spirit to function as a community together that encourages and lifts up and loves not just each other, but also the broken world around us. We've got another quote from Bonhoeffer here. He says this. If Levi's got that on the screen for us. Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. See, it's not just about being in community with each other. It's also about being in community with those who don't agree with us. Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. At the end, all his disciples deserted him. On the cross, he was utterly alone, surrounded by evildoers and mockers. For this cause, he had come to bring peace to the enemies of God. So the Christian, too, belongs not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the thick of the foes. The Christian doesn't belong just watching YouTube videos and filling themselves up with good and spiritual things, just reading one's Bible alone. The the, the Christian life is one that's out in the broken world, even a broken world who doesn't Feel good about the Christians who are, as Bonhoeffer says, the foes. There is his commission, his work. The kingdom is to be built in the midst of your enemies. And he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among the friends to sit in the roses and lilies. Bonhoeffer is saying, like, if you're only anticipating that this Christian experience is going to be all Disney, then you don't get it. He wants to be among friends, to sit among the roses and the lilies, not with the bad people, but the devout people. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you are doing, who would have ever been spared? Bonhoeffer is saying, look, this, this experience of being an active part of the body doesn't just mean being in the midst of the community of faith. It also means existing in the broken world, a broken world that doesn't even care for it. And so thank God for the church that we can encourage each other and, we can, and that we can hone each other and, we can, and that, that we can share joys and sorrows together. But this also empowers us to be out in the broken world that may not care for the person who has confessed faith in, in Jesus. Bonhoeffer was right. The church doesn't exist just for itself. It, it's designed to be God's hands and feet in the very, very broken world. Historian Rodney Stark, who I love to talk about because he is a, a, not a Christian historian, but a historian who is asked the question, how did Christianity go from this little group of believers in the first century to a worldwide movement in three or four centuries? And his, the summary of his statement is, they loved and cared for each other. And they also loved and cared for their communities. When, when, the, when the Romans uh, were unhappy that uh, they had given birth to little girls, because boys were valued more, and the, and the Romans literally put their little daughters out for the wolves to take them, because that was a way for them to say, "We, we weren't responsible for their, for their death, because they didn't want or couldn't afford them." That's what they did. You know who went and saved the little girls? The Christians. And Stark makes the case that this is how Christianity grew. People started to recognize that these people don't just care about themselves, they care about their communities. They care about the little girls that nobody else was caring about. And they went and they got them and they gathered them together. And this is the kind of community God is calling us to be as a church. And so we get disillusioned with the institution and we get frustrated because we feel like we're not good enough. But God is saying, you don't have to worry about all that. You are the church church. Come, and I will give you life and help you to be a part of me in this broken world. I was talking to my friend, uh, Victor Diamond, this week. We had some pastor meetings, and Victor, uh, sorry, his brother, Andrew, I was talking to Andrew. So Andrew and Victor are both from the Ukraine, pastors here in the Green Year Conference, but they have family back in Ukraine, and Andrew was telling me that, uh, that his brother uh, was at home, and a bomb fell, and the... House fell down and the brother was under the rubble for hours. And who and came and pulled him out of the rubble? The Baptists. He was like, Thank thank God for the, the Baptists who you don't know, they're Christian brothers and sisters, right? <laughs> the the church is is various and diverse. The the Baptists came and pulled them out because they, they felt that God's commission was to go and help those who had need, and so they literally rescued him from the He was going to die because nobody else was out there trying to find people, so the Baptist, the Baptist church pulled his brother out. Man, the world is a broken place. It's getting more messed up as the day goes on, and what the world needs is people who have been transformed by the love of Jesus who have confessed faith in him, who have been baptized him, and who acknowledge that they are part of the church, as broken as the church is, and then go out into this broken world with love and joy and peace and compassion and make a difference, even if they're making a difference among their enemies. This is what the world needs today. It doesn't need Christians who are excluding others. It doesn't need Christians who are negative about everything that's going on. It needs Christians who care it needs a church who cares about a broken world and believes that when God said he came for the world, that's what he meant. He came for the whole world. And so Jesus is calling us to be the church that drinks all of the same spirit and is empowered despite the flaws, despite the institution, despite our own inadequacy and fear, to still be peace and love and compassion as the hands and the feet and the body parts with Christ as the head. And so, as we recognize the brokenness in our own hearts and the brokenness of this world, may God work in us to help us to be the church that he longs for us to be. In him we pray. Amen.